welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. So you get to experience a little glimpse into the life of Shane this morning. Well, this isn't far off from the glimpse into the life of Trey either. Well... So this is actually probably about an hour later recording in the morning. We never recorded a podcast we, in the we morning. Haven't. Which and I think you can probably tell right off from my intro this morning. I, I'm a morning person. Right. But I, I also approach my mornings very slow. I'm more like a semi than a dragster. I am a morning routine person. Mm. I like my morning routine. I don't like, you know, I like my morning routine. Get up, walk the dog. Listen to a few podcasts, get the brain juices flowing, get everything moving, come out here, have a cigar, listen to the Adam Carolla show, usually what I listen to, Adam or Drew, depending on who's on my nerves that week, and naturally bring about my day, line out my day in my head kind of as I'm smoking my cigar and everything and what I've got to get accomplished. So is this where you're going to say that my coffee is an unnatural start to the day? Well, no, I mean, it, I have gone so far as to have a cup of coffee out here with a cigar. Yeah. But I have to go get it because I don't own a coffee maker. Which you told me this week, and I just <laughs> cannot wrap my head around that. I own no less than four different methods for making coffee. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not a coffee guy. I mean, I enjoy a cup every now and then, but it's not a um, a get up and go, a starter for me. It's a treat. Well, see, the thing is, it is not a... Um, it's not a crutch for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. I can I can perfectly, you know, get up and, and start my day without it. I just prefer not to because it's a great way, just like you talk about coming out here, spending that downtime. Coffee for me is a way to slow down in the morning rather than just jump up and get to it. It allows me to kind of reflect and, and project on the day coming. Well, sitting here smelling it from four and a half foot away, I can tell you, you make a strong cup of coffee. I do. I make a, if I do say so myself, I make a pretty darn good cup of uh, coffee. This it, is French press. If there's any mortar needed for the bricks around the corner, I know where to get oh, it. Oh, I'll, sh- I'll show you the sludge at the bottom of this cup when I get down to it. <laughs> Gee, I can't wait. <laughs> Thanks. Some people read tea leaves. I read coffee grounds. <laughs> read, reading coffee sludge. Well, let's talk about what we're smoking this morning. All right, I'm back, baby. You're back. Oh, yeah. What was the cigar that was your triumphant return to glory? ADN. ADN, good choice. It was It was amazing, too. Not the cigar. The cigar was okay. But it was, I mean, it was, so I love La Aurora cigars. I absolutely adore everything coming out of that factory right now. I have one small nitpick, though. The DNA ADN Toro. Right. Has such a tendency to be rolled too tight. You can get a tight draw on a DNA. And so when you haven't had a cigar in 11 days, mm-hmm. it it was a gamble. It yep. was an absolute gamble to go for that ADN first, knowing knowing that I had about a 50-50 shot of getting one that was going to draw the way I like it to. Well, I lost that gamble. Ooh, not good. It was a little tight. Not so tight that it was painful, but enough that I... I was kind of... You know, half of me wishes when I got a tight cigar that I would either, A, get one so tight that I just hurl it into the ether and be done with it Mm -hmm. and brush that cigar for my life. And part of me thinks, okay, 
this is not going to be as good, but it's gonna it's still smokable. I can't in good conscience throw this cigar away. And the problem is it always falls somewhere along that spectrum. Like it's usually in the middle of that. It's never bad enough to throw it away versus, you know, the cost outlay, but it's never good enough to just muscle through it. And also, you know, we've talked about the Bravada um is that what it's called? Bravatus? Yeah, the Bovitas packs. No, the the pin. The oh yeah, the pin. Yeah, um, Bavaris or something. Bavaris, yeah, or whatever it's called. Um, Baravis, that was it. There you go. It, God, we're professional today. <laughs> this is podcasting well done. It is. Um, when it's a tight roll and instead of a plug, that doesn't do anything. It does not help at all. I stabbed that thing six times, and it still did. I mean, it, it told me where the money was hidden, but it didn't. <laughs> so you, you stabbed it six times, and then somebody said it died of coronavirus. Yeah. Um, but, it, but anyway, so the flavor was great. It was amazing to me. I got flavors out of that cigar I've never gotten before. <laughs> of course you stabbed it repeatedly. <laughs> you ruptured all the tobacco. Um, no, I just mean it tasted like cigars used to take for, taste for me. Like, I've not taken 10, 11 days off of cigars in I don't know how long. And so my palate really, now halfway through the cigar, I was, it, it tasted like normal again. Right. But um, it was just, it was really interesting to me to see how, how different that was. Very interesting. Well, what are you smoking this morning? So I am smoking a cigar that I got in that same trip yesterday. This is the Intemperance Whiskey Rebellion. This is a Roma Craft that is so, so good for the price. You know, Roma Craft tend to be around the $10, $11 range in general. Um, but they, they are very much uh, well worth it. For the price, this one retails around the six and a half dollar range. I think I paid seven and a half for this one. Um, it is part of their Intemperance line, which is one of my absolute favorite lines that they do. It's uh, Nicaraguan and Dominican uh, long filler uh, with an Indonesian binder leaf and uh, Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. It's got everything I like. You know, Roma Craft is, I mean, they're good cigars. But they never really hit that. Gotta have another one for me. See the the Cro-Magnon Cranium is for me, and the Intemperance is as well. I will say a little bit of a. Uh, we were talking last week or the week before about um, sight unseen cigar purchases. This is where. Listen, you idiots. Don't come up with a name for the size of your cigar that is not standard. Right. So everyone has to do curbside right now. So I call up, hey, I want an Intemperance Whiskey Rebellion. Okay, which size? I don't know what they're called. <laughs> right. it, Did you like the Slobber knocker, knocker or the Gargantuan, which happens to be a 4 by 80 Yeah. The, 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 the options are Washington, Bradford, Hamilton, Jefferson, and McFarlane. Oh, see, that's even worse. How do you, how could I possibly know which one? And I ended up not getting the one that I wanted because I didn't know what to ask for. Um, that being said, I am smoking the McFarlane, which is a 5x50 Perfecto, which is not a cigar a size of this that I would have picked up on my own. So I'm kind of interested to see how it goes. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how you like it and all. But I do like Perfecto. So that's, it does have I do that too. going I, for I it. really do like Perfecto. I just never tend to grab it. Well, I'm having my morning cigar this morning, and I went good. I went with the Don Lito Africa. I know 
This is the third time I've smoked one on the show, folks. I'm enjoying them. Just leave me be. And all. They're made in the A.J. Fernandez factory. And they're a hand-selected long filler blend of Dominican Pilioto and Nicaraguan leaves from Ometepe, Jalapa, and Esteli. The binder is African Cameroon, and it's covered in a Habano 2000 wrapper grown in Ecuador. So that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty detailed way to say good cigar. Yeah, I mean that's using five hundred words when five would do. Mm-hmm. But it just it just is the cigar, and it's just been the cigar for have me already, for a while. Have you already cut that? Yeah, I already cut oh, it. Oh, I was gonna. Oh, did you get the Zachar Slim? No, I f- found this while I was cleaning out my desk this week. A little Slim single. I just used it for the first time. This thing is amazing. Oh, it is. Very it's, nice. It's as sharp as that one that Jonathan had. You know, and that's the thing. Just having a razor sharp cutter is such a such a gift mm-hmm. in this time. So, do you need a lighter? I do. If you've got one handy. Okay, well, I've got a bunch of them around here. My back oh, porch. Oh, it's right here. Yeah, on my back porch, there's lighters everywhere. Oh, I've got a little makeup case over here if I need it too. Yeah, if you need to, if you need to touch up your rouge, by all means. But so had some great we're talking about great cigars that we've had yesterday i had the best fishing ever the best way to fish to me that so at my parents house which is on the river the river is way up usually there's about 20 foot of steps down to the beach well right now the water is level with the top of those steps you can go about three steps down and you're down so the water last time i was out there it was even higher than that (laughs) yeah so when, yeah, last time you were there, it was in the basement. But when it's like that, it's one of the best times to just go down there. The catfish come up on those rocks because it's all that fresh food. And that's when the big catfish hit. This happens every every three to five years. So we were supposed to um, record on Thursday and I called you and said, hey, dad, put up the fish signal. Yeah. I got to go down there. And that is the best fishing in the world because you're sitting right there in front of the house. You could almost fish off the front porch. You're sitting right there at the house. You, you get a long enough. You should get one of those saltwater poles that they the big long surf poles, and then you could do it off that top balcony. Yeah, could just fish off the porch. It'd be harder to get them up. That yeah. would be the biggest problem, especially a forty pounder. <laughs> yeah, but it's the best kind of fishing because you know we sit there all day. We fished from six thirty yesterday morning till about six o'clock last night, and um, we didn't catch a lot of fish, but we caught a lot of pounds of fish. Yeah, you know, on the cigar cast page, you've seen the biggest. The biggest one we caught was about forty five pound flathead cap. And I'll, and yes, folks, I finished that cigar. So here's what I think is so funny about you. I'm looking at that picture and okay. Like I know your dad doesn't smoke and I know, so I know that that, that had to be your cigar. I'm looking and you've put it inside a catfish's mouth, which is gross, but on brand. However, you wouldn't set your hat on it. I noticed you were holding the hat just ever so slightly above. So you're, you're more comfortable with sharing a cigar with a fish than sharing a hat with a fish. No, I'd had the hat on. I can go show you the catfish slime on the hat. I'd had the hat on it three times and it wouldn't sit right. Okay. Because the head was so flat. If the hat had sat right, oh, I'd, be, I'd love to. Because that's actually one of the things that bothers me about that picture is my hand yeah. holding the hat. So, I, yeah, I would have I, I put the hat, totally put the hat on the fish. <laughs> I thought for sure it was because you didn't want to share the hat with the fish. So... 
the fish is a great story. I've got to tell this story because I'm a storyteller at heart. So we're there. Dad caught one, weighed about eight pound, and then missed one on this one rod. Well, he gets the rod in. I said, well, here's your problem. Your hook is dull because I'm very, you know, it blows my mind. There's fishermen that run their whole life, fish their entire life, and never sharpen a hook. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those guys. I want my hook sharp. So I've got out my little grinder, my little sander, and I took that hook back there, and I worked that sucker over till it was hypodermic needle sharp. Mm-hmm. And also I fixed it up, and we throw it out there. Well, during this, so we're fishing with four poles through this whole thing because the catfish, they're slow biting. Right. And uh, you may sit there 35 minutes, 40 minutes, and not catch anything. But when you do catch something, it's at least over five pounds. Right. Which is the greatest way to fish in the world. You don't have to get up and down a lot fooling with little fish and rebaiting and all that stuff. When you catch something, you know it. See, I, but that's that's the thing about catfishing for me is I find it so boring. I much prefer bass fishing where you're constantly doing something. It does make it harder to smoke a cigar, though. Yeah, bass fishing is too much like work. So I'm set, So Dad hands me that rod. He says, hey, go put, a, put an edge on this hook. I'll throw your rod back out there for you, son. I said, okay. Thanks, Dad. So I'm over there, and I've got the, the grinder on, and I'm just working that hook over. And my mother yells, Shane, your daddy needs help. So I turn around, and he has hooked that fish on my rod with my newly sharpened hook. So <laughs> he's pulling on that fish, and he runs down. So we were going down the steps about four houses down to catch these fish because you couldn't pull. If you pull a 10-pound catfish against the current back up to you... That's about a 40-pound... Yeah, your your line's going to snap. Yeah. So you kind of have to hook them and then chase them down. Right. You have to bring them in at an angle. Yeah. Yeah, so he's chasing down, and we got to the second-to-last staircase, and I said, Dad, you've got to turn this fish because we're out of steps. Yeah. At this point, I'm going to be bushwhacking it through the woods trying to find a way to get to this fish. And uh, Because obviously, he couldn't... He couldn't land it and pick it up so i've got the net in my hand well you know that moment when they pull the fish up and you see kind of the bottom of the fish and you get a gauge of what size it is mm-hmm. this one pulled up and the water around it just swirled and i thought what kind of a sea monster has he hooked <laughs> that and, creates a negative pressure current yeah. when it re- when it's removed <laughs> the water level went down three <laughs> inches when you pulled that fish out of it well, he pulls it, and that head come out. That big catfish head comes out of the water, and I see it. And I looked at Dad, and I said, Dad, this ain't a big enough net. He said, no, that ain't a big enough net, because we did not have enough net for this fish. So he pulled it up, and when he got it up, I just took both hands, full Oklahoma mudcat style, and jumped, reached right into the fish's mouth and drug it up the bank <laughs> and out of the water. <laughs> And also, we both we get split credit on that fish. He right. couldn't have landed it without me. I couldn't have landed it without him. See, there's another type of uh, fisherman that you didn't mention. It's the person who's never filed or sharpened a hook in their entire career, but it's because they're like me, and they throw it in the trees so often, it never hits a chance to get dull between <laughs> uses. Well. I lose more lures. That's assume. yeah, my wife does too. And I'll, she th- she throws them in the trees. And I, I keep saying, honey, if the fish were in the trees, we wouldn't need rods. We could just climb up there and get them. But the problem is, so I do a lot of creek fishing. Where You do more river fishing. Sure. I do more creek fishing. And in the summer, you've got to get under the overhang of the trees. 
And this is one of those, I know this isn't cigar related, but one of those top tips, if, if you're talking about fishing, spend the money on an upgraded rod. Mm-hmm. Everyone spends money on a reel, but the rod is how you determine that the lure is going to go where you want it. And it took me years to figure that out. I finally upgraded my rod recently, and now that thing, that lure goes exactly where I want it every time. It's amazing. Well, you know, I got hooked on custom rods a while back. I was at a boat show, and a guy had, you know, then all these rods are two and three hundred dollars. Yeah. And he had this one rod setting for fifty bucks. And I said, "What's wrong with this rod?" He said, "Well, I built it special for a man." And he died before he bought it. And I just want to get it. He bought it twice. (laughs) He really bought it before he bought it. (laughs) So he he said, so I've kind of got this dead man's rod sitting here, and I'm I'm not sure how to sell it and all that. And I said, dead man's rod, I'm on it. That that is right in your wheelhouse. Oh, I'm right on brand. Imbued with the soul of a deceased fisherman, man, I am own it. And it comes with its own story. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually probably would have paid more for that rod than for the others. Yeah. No, I, I, what's, we don't have a lot of similarities, but that's one of them. I absolutely would be there. That would have been the, I, I would, yeah, I'd pay more for the story. Yeah. But after getting into the custom rod game, I think you're exactly right. Cause those custom built fiberglass rods are the thing. Spend a little more on them. You can get a reel anywhere. Yeah. And I'll, okay, well, let's talk about something cigar related. Now oh. that I've told the story of the 40, it was a 45 pound catfish. Estimated at 45 pounds. My scales are all screwed up. And I'll, and I can show you the scars on my hands from where the teeth and all that really got in there. But anyway. I'm surprised you didn't get yourself on the hook going in on it. Oh, no, the hook was in the corner of the mouth. So I oh, was able you, to. Okay. He hooked it just perfect. If it if I had not just sharpened that hook, he would not have caught that fish because it went right through the corner of the mouth in the toughest part of the mouth. Normally, a hook won't penetrate that. But this sucker being hypodermic needle sharp. Do you leave the barb on or do you oh, sharpen yeah, always, it off? Always leave the barb on. But I also try to come to a triangular point rather than a round point because the triangular point will produce a little better cut. Anyway. Anyway. All right. So let's talk about some good news. Cigar aficionado. Cigar factories reopen amid coronavirus outbreak. Are we still amid coronavirus or are we not at the end of the coronavirus? No, we're still very much amid. We're still on the upswing. Uh, Everybody says that. I don't buy it. (laughs) it. You and I argue about statistics all the time. And I got into, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the second half of the show, you and I, I was having this argument with somebody the other day. Statistics are only as good as as they can be at any given point in time. Um, we have to go off the information we have at the time. We can't we can't speculate. Sure, so, we can. <laughs> not if you want good data. E- even if we don't believe the data to be. 100% accurate. That's why we have standard deviations and margins of error built in. But the data we have, to the best of our knowledge and ability to collect that data, says that we are still in the midst of the pandemic, that we're not on the downswing yet. Whether that's actually true or not, that's not what I'm arguing, but the data says we are. Well, I don't want to go too far down my conspiracy theory rabbit hole of how the media is using this to their own device and has very little to actually do with the coronavirus. But we'll, let's get back to the article. 
Okay. Um, you notice how you notice how I said it anyway, even though I said I wasn't going yeah, to. Yeah, no, okay. I'm. I'm. Well, we've been doing this show for three and a half years. <laughs> I know how you work. <laughs> you know, you know how that goes. Yeah. All right. So the Dominican Republic. A uh, month of closure, La Flor Dominica reopened this week, but under far different conditions. So basically what's happening is they're reopening these cigar shops. But I think of the article I read, only like one of them is really opening back up to a full production set and all. So, um, and let's face it, La Flor Dominicana is never caught up on orders. No. So, hey, folks, if you're an LFD fan and you see a box... Go ahead and buy it. Yeah. Well, now, I'm actually, probably contributing to the shortage right. by saying that. Well, I have heard from a couple of retailers lately that LFD has actually really improved their game in that regard lately. So hopefully this doesn't step them back into where they were five years ago. Well, LFD is kind of the king of, and they're the king of not only not having the stock, but being totally unapologetic or un forthcoming about that well and not telling their employees yeah you yeah know, the, the the reps are out there selling it with no earthly idea that they're back ordered on stuff until they get a call from an angry shop owner a couple days later that their order hadn't isn't complete um anyway tack tabacalera de garcia where romeo and juliet aipchup and monte cristo is made operations resumed on april 6th on a limited basis but now and here's something that all the frightened peasants that are yelling about coronavirus need to understand. They've got this tobacco in there fermenting. People have got to be in there to watch that. They can't just leave that alone. There are people, believe it or not, that have jobs that require daily maintenance. You know, you can't just say, everybody stay at home, everybody hide under your kitchen counter and wait until all the animals at the aquarium starve. Right. Well, you know. there are, and and the the whole idea behind essential employment tries to account for all of the, and for the most part, what I've said. Now, granted, we're talking about a completely different country here, so it, it, it's really hard for us to speculate what the rules are and what the, you know, and what they've been required to do versus what they're voluntarily doing. I don't want to get into that speculation, but you know, it, yeah, the there's definitely there are definitely jobs where the maintenance is is what is what the requirement to become essential is. Sure. And uh, um, in Nicaragua, the world's leading producer of handmade cigars, I do have to highlight this, only one death by coronavirus in all of Nicaragua. Um, they're going on week two closed, but Rocky Patel is going to be opening the factory up Monday. So th this was published on April 16th. So this coming Monday, as you hear that, they're going to open Rocky Patel back up. And, I'll, and they're going to be talking, you know, so they're going to put masks on the employees. They should have done that from the get-go anyway, being as they're making something that's going to go in my mind in a catfish's mouth. <laughs> they should have been wearing masks anyway. They're going to put gloves on them, which i got to imagine most of them were wearing gloves anyway. I, I, in photos of factories I've seen, I've seen both. I know when I was in um, uh, Tampa and seen everything there that they... Um, they were all wearing gloves? Yeah, they were wearing gloves. Yeah, I've seen photos of people using wearing gloves while they roll. I've also seen it not. I don't think there's necessarily a rule or a, or, or a defined parameter for that. Um, you know, it, it also says a General Cigar Dominicana is, is going to be up. They're already at 60% of their workforce, so they're gonna, and they're going to start rolling that up as well. 
So how much? So we could go through factory by factory, but the fact is the factories are opening back up. Right. Life goes on. At some point, we have to move forward. Um. So are we going to re- experience a shortage, or do you think companies had enough back stock to kind of go through this? What do you th- where do you think we're at with that? Where do you think that's going to all come down? Well. It's important to note that they're saying that they're sh- shutting down the factories. At no point does it say they're shutting down the farms. Again, I think that comes to the definition of essential and, and whatnot. So the the supply should still be there. You know, uh, where was it? Was it Fuente said that, um, you know, they've got lot. No, it wasn't Fuente. It was EPC. Basically, they've got tons of stuff. You know, already all you know, pre-rolled and ready to. No, it was it was Rocky. Um, yeah, ready to get out. They're gonna they're gonna start using air freight to ship their stuff out so that it gets there on time. Uh, they've already got tons of stuff pre-rolled, just awaiting shipment. So they're they're gonna be fine once they once they get the factory back rolling. So you think we'll see very little interruption in our actually in our actual cigar receiving? I do, and I think. You know, looking at from a top-down approach, I think part of the reason for that is that you've got. I've I've been talking to several shop owners around the city lately, and you know, some of them are doing okay. Some of them have shut down completely. Some are starting to, you know, reopen to curbside only. But I'm hearing a lot of people that say, "Yeah, we're not. You know, we're saving money on." on overhead with employees and stuff, right. but so it kind of washes, but the point is they're selling fewer cigars. Right. So that means they're going to be ordering fewer cigars. So it, starting from the consumer, um, as the weather gets nicer, uh, more people are smoking outside on the golf course, that sort of thing. So uh, one of the guys I was talking to yesterday said, yeah, the weather definitely impacts when you're curbside only, because if the person doesn't have a place outside to smoke or if it's not, good weather to smoke outside they're not buying cigars whereas oh, they yeah. would normally hang out in the shop so i think i think it'll all happen at the same time as kind of an ebb and flow sort of situation probably right probably probably no reason to to push the shortage of cigar alarm button yet um real quick want to talk for so that we can wrap up all the corona talk and put an end to this because afterwards we're going to talk about some more after the break we're going to talk about some fun stuff um Alec Bradley feeds Honduras cigar workers through coronavirus crisis. So basically, Alec Bradley stepped up. They they took the time. They stepped up. They said, okay, we're going to take care of our workers. They got together with food, food delivery, and there's not people going hungry in Honduras thanks to Alec Bradley. Yeah, I... It's, it's so funny to me looking at these Latin American countries who have not been supremely affected by the coronavirus quite to the extent that European countries, Asian countries have, and, and of course us. Um, but the Honduran lockdown looks to be one of the most draconian I've seen. Citizens have only been allowed out of their homes in segments based upon identification numbers. Does that sound familiar? That's holy yeah. cow! That's scary. Um, but yeah, yeah we, no. we would definitely burn down the Capitol building if that happened in Tennessee. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, there's plenty of photos of of them. You know, just crates of eggs, bags of food. It's it's. We've talked so much on this show over the course of of you know past episodes about how great 
the cigar industry is about taking care of its employees, giving back to the community, and this is a perfect example of that. Well, why don't we step away real quick? We can catch a cigar under eight. When we get back, I want to talk about the theory and practice of a 24-hour cigar lounge and then talk about the good life. All right. We'll be back with that and more after this. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8, and this week we're going to do something a little different. Um, we all see sampler packs on all of the online, and even you see sampler packs in your brick and mortars. And don't discount the sampler pack. The sampler pack is a great way to pick up a more expensive cigar for less. Absolutely. You know, this is definitely a buyer beware kind of situation. If, if something looks a little too good to be true, or if it's not a reputable website... If, if you're going that route, you know, definitely be careful. But you can really get a really budget-friendly way of, of trying something new if, if you look for the samplers. Well, and so what I want to highlight this week, Cigar.com's not a sponsor, but we'd be happy to talk to them about it. Um, they have an Avo 8 Synchro Nicaraguan assortment with earbuds for $49.99. That's a really, really good deal. So it's two short Robustos, two Robustos, two Toros, and two special Toros, which are 6 by 60s And a set of Avo earbuds, which who uses earbuds yeah. anymore? But anyway, um, it's a great deal. So eight cigars at $49.99, that's a little under five bucks, a st- or a little over five bucks a stick. Yeah. And this is a 10 or $11 stick anywhere you want to buy it. Mm-hmm. And I love the Synchro Nicaraguan series. Now, I like the Fogata better. But the Cinco Nicaraguan series is just a really good, medium-full cigar. Absolutely. And it's a Nicaraguan Puro, so no need to talk too much about the recipe of it. But try, just go to Cigar.com and try the Avo 8 Cinco Nicaraguan Assortment. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who has to settle two bets for me. Two bets? Two bets about your personal life. Uh, oh, these are bets specifically about... Who are they with? Well, other undisclosed parties. Okay, we'll Undis- talk about undis- that after the show. Undisclosed private parties. Okay, let's, let's and, hear um, it. Um, would you eat frog legs? Yeah. Okay, see, I won that one. Okay. The person I was betting with said, there's no way Trey will eat frog legs. I said, no, they're just European enough that that might hit him. I I don't like (laughs) your logic on that, but yeah, no, I'm not afraid of of weird foods. I have certain peculiarities of things I don't like, but meat, I'll try anything. I've eaten emu and kangaroo and all kinds of weird stuff. I'd eat frog legs, absolutely. And if I if I said the quote Conan, what is best in life? Could you finish it? No. Okay. I, 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 I'm two and zero. Oh. <laughs> no, but I I couldn't get anybody to bite on the Conan bet because you're just not a Conan the Barbarian guy. It's it's one of those movies that I would I have to be. It's like Mad Max. I've I've watched it, but I have to be in a certain type of mood for it, and it's just I, I it's never been available when I've gotten in that kind of mood. I honestly think that Conan the Barbarian is the most masculine movie ever created. And all and it has so much good stuff in it. You know, you think about when the when he meets the thief and the thief says, What gods do you worship? And he says, Well, I worship Krom and he says, Well, I worship the wind and my God is heavy and over yours and all that. 
Conan didn't get up and split him down the middle with his sword. They had a debate. They had a difference in religion that did not end in a war. So there's, there's some good to be had out of that. And I think that's some of the part that's missed by people. They think if two very masculine men disagree that they must settle it at dawn with pistols. Well, and that's, well, I, I don't want to derail the show because that'll end up going down a rabbit hole. But yeah, no, I get that. I, no, it's just, I, it's one of those shows, it's one of those movies that's absolutely, or just barbarian movies in general. It's definitely on my list, but I've not gotten there yet. Well, I'm too busy rewatching Sean Connery's Bond films for the 17th time. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just saying it would be nice because one of the things that we've always done at the cigar shop is introduce younger men to some of the movies they may have missed. Mm-hmm. And I and I really think a cigar lounge where you have the ability to do that would be invaluable. You know, it's funny because, and this is why there are so many cigar shops in any given town, is because there are so many different types of cigar smokers. It would be really cool, obviously you can't get it done at this point, but to go into a a reasonably sized city that currently doesn't have any cigar lounge offerings and be all things to all people. You've got like a workspace for the day crowd, you've got like a theater or or a a media room where people mm-hmm. can come in and watch movies. You got pool table, you've got a golf simulator, you've got you know like be the ultimate adult playground. That sounds completely wrong. <laughs> Not that kind of adult playground. And in the dungeon tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it would just be so like like a Chuck E Cheese for adults. Cigar but Again, there are so many different types. There's some people that like music in the shop, some people that don't. Some people like TVs in the shop, some people that don't. But there's no way to capture all of that. Well, and so this is what brings us to this article. And all it's from Developing Lafayette, Lafayette magazine. Laf- or Laf- uh, newspaper. Laf- it's Lafayette if it's Louisiana. It's Lafayette if it's Tennessee. Okay. Chesterson's fine cigars expanding to become Catania's only 24-hour private access cigar lounge. So the only reason I mentioned this article is because I want to talk about the private cigar lounge and all. If it, so, let's say you hook it up just like your average gymnasium. You know that gym that I go to. I got a card. I can scan it. If I want to get up in the middle of the night and go lift weights, I can. And all. And um, is this a good idea or a bad idea? This is the Zycar principle. Okay. So Zycar makes decent lighters. But they charge more than anybody else with equivalent product. So not counting DuPont, but Calibri and Mm -hmm. Vector and Lotus and all that. And the reason they charge so much is because they have that unconditional lifetime warranty. You're paying for that. And they spread the cost of replacing lighters indefinitely over... A, a, an agreed, you know, they've they've run the numbers. They've decided be- between the number of people that never have a problem with their lighter or the people that lose it before they do, this is what it costs to kind of make up right. the difference. This is the same thing. If you're dealing with a private cigar lounge, the number of people that are going to be hanging out at the cigar lounge at 3 o'clock in the morning is like 2. Sure. But the number of people that pay their dues is going to help keep the place employed and stocked and the internet on for the people that happen to want it. So they spread it. The only way to make a 24 hour lounge work is to do a members only by subscription. Yeah. I think you have to do and you ha- It kind of has to be a locker thing. 
you know, okay, for X dollars a year, you get your locker and you get your um your members your card to get into the members only lounge, and that's kind of separate from the regular shop. Yeah, and uh, because does you this have a does this have a regular shop that isn't members only a part of it? I don't know. I hadn't got that deep. Into okay, it. I, I would assume they do because they're saying they're expanding. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because I do think you need a regular brick and mortar, you know, public access to feed it because you can't survive on subscription alone. Right, especially because those guys are going to get a box discount. That's how they're going to spend their money, and that's that's not going to keep your lights on. Yeah, they're going to put. Well, they're going to buy a box. They're going to put it in their locker. And so they're going to smoke it. Yeah, yeah. If Sunday morning at at eight a.m. they want to meet three buddies there and have a cigar in the private lounge, they're not going to get that out of a humidor. Nobody's working Sunday morning at eight a.m. They need to have something in their humidor. Right. Now I do think this is a deal. Where if you did this, your biggest vein would be the people that want to buy online and bring a box off of online and put it in their locker. Yeah, I don't know how you curtail that. I mean, obviously, I'm assuming they've got the 24-hour lounge staffed. I mean, you can't just let people go in there. Sure you can. You think so? Yeah, with the benefit of video, you know, you've got video up. Yeah. And also, if you come in the next morning and the place has been torn asunder, you can check the video and say, hey, Rob, you're no longer a member. You know, you can. Yeah, I I, I see that. But it it just seems like, again, the insurance person in me is is coming out saying the liability of not having anybody employed on staff. Because even the 24-hour gyms have somebody there at all times. Oh, no. Mine don't. I've been a member of three. None of them did. Really? Yeah, none of them did. And all that. The here's the staffed hours of the gym. The rest of the time, you just come in there. Everything's oh. on video. All right. Now, weird things happen in the bathroom of a 24 hour gym. I've come in the next morning and thought, what went on here last night? But the the public areas are very well maintained because they're all under video surveillance. Because okay. at any point, the owner can just log in and check, you know, to see what's happening in their store. Yeah. And all, but I'm I'm interested. I don't know that it's a workable model. I don't either. I I definitely don't think it's workable in the grand scheme of things. I do know there are areas and people that could get away with it. Like, for example, when I was living in Atlanta, the shop used to close at 9 o'clock. And we would all ha- head over to a bar called Lassiter's because they would allow us to smoke cigars. And so we'd go down. It, we'd sit in the little cigar smoking section. And we would hang out till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. If we had had a cigar shop, that would allow us to do the same, we would have stayed there versus going to a bar. So I, I do think there are areas I, that could sustain this, but I think it's, you're looking at cities slightly larger than Nashville uh, and larger. So, and then probably only being able to sustain one, maybe two of this model. I don't think the risk versus profit is ever there for an owner to do this. I, I don't either. I, d- I just don't think But I guess we'll find out. I'll keep my eyes out on the shop and kind of, See see if we get any updates on whether or not this this turns out to be worthwhile or not. So I want to go to an article in Forbes. It's got me really excited. So I'm a big proponent of living a good life, and I'll and sometimes to excess, but rarely rare, rarely do I engage in excess. My eating is about the only thing that is excessive in my life. I really need to curtail that portion of the excess. But as far as drinking or 
anything like that or or any any debauchery. I'm not I'm not I don't have much in the way of a debauch in my life. And all. it's just not who I am. Gotcha. You only the only space you have in your life for vices is in the workshop. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, so it, it took me a minute to get that joke. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> as give long it, as it didn't fall on deaf ears, I'm I, fine. I didn't give it the laugh it deserved. <laughs> I just want you to know, and I apologize. But it I, it took me just a second to catch that Sometimes joke. I do them just for me. Okay. So Forbes article. This is a Forbes article, and it's called from January 14th, 2012. So this has got some age on it, but it's never been more true than it is true today. Um, it's from Panos Moradakakatas, and it's the 10 golden rules on living the good life. And I'll, um, number one, so some of these are really good, and some of these are kind of cliche to me. Well, and I think some of them, yeah, I'll just, I'll just agree with that. Wow. That's a, that's a first. I <laughs> uh, engendered a lot of goodwill with his with his vice comment. No, <laughs> no, but I think the reason the reason things become cliche is is sometimes due in part to the fact that they are universally accepted as true. Well, so number one, examine life, engage life with vengeance, always search for new pleasures and new destin destin destines. I want to say destinies, but it's not destinies. It's destines to reach with your mind. Hmm. Um, examine life, engage life with vengeance. That sounds way too um, back, you know, conference room of a hotel, get your life in order, motivational speaker for me. It, it does. But, and this is something that you and I, I think, actually disagree on because we've had disagreements before. And, and I'm very much a believer in this. And I don't think you are quite to the same extent. Just because I, and we'll touch on this in, in the point that you wanted to make later, I believe that life, life's experiences should challenge us. Uh, we've talked about it in the past with, with church. I don't want to go be fed the same sermons that I've been hearing for 30 years. I want someone to challenge me. I want someone to force me to think outside of my comfort zone and my accepted realm of beliefs. I believe that life is a sum total of our experiences, and if we seek out those experiences with which challenge our worldview, we are a much better adapted member of society. Well, I agree with that, but to only to the extent. Um, I refuse to walk through life like baking soda. There's people that walk through life like baking soda. They just absorb all the bad smells in the refrigerator of life. Well, and we're seeing a lot of... The, I like that. We're seeing a lot of this right now. Um, a friend of mine on Instagram the other day posted a little bit of a rant about people complaining about boredom when there are people dying and losing their jobs and stuff like that. And, and I really don't get on board with the whole tone policing of just because someone's experience is worse than yours doesn't mean that yours isn't a valid complaint. Yeah, and, you know, to the boredom people, I always say the same thing. Do you know boredom and happiness come from the same place? They come from within, not from without. Right. If you, you can choose happiness and you can choose boredom, and that is how, when somebody says they are having a problem with boredom, that's a problem that's far deeper than their circumstances. It is, you know, and I've heard I've heard it said before only boring people get bored. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think it it 
plays into what you're talking about, which is that it's a self-actualizing part of your personality. You either have the capacity to become bored with life or you don't. But I do think in the case of, of this, you know, with what's going on in the world right now, you know, people that talk about being bored because they're in quarantine, I think a lot of times that's that's a, a cover-up from other fears with uncertainty that they're trying to channel in a way that is... Which perfectly brings... it. Well, I wish we... Well, how good would we be if we practiced? Brings us perfectly to point number two. Worry only about the things that are in your control. I'm a little offended that you don't think I did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Worry only about the things that are in your control, the things that can be influenced and changed by your actions, not about things that are behind, beyond your capacity to direct. And I feel like this is the kind of thing that everybody knows, but it is, it is really, really hard to put into practice. This one takes work for most people. Yeah, you have to, it, you know, and some people's profession lends itself better to this. You know, at, some, at every point when I draw in a house for somebody, at some point I have to throw my hands up and say, well, you can't see it from my house and draw what they tell me to. Right. Because at the end of the day, they're the customer. Well, and, and I deal with this in, in my line of work, too, because you have to account for not only solving a problem, but making sure you prevent the problem from coming back. And oftentimes the customer doesn't want to either a spend the money. Well, most of the time spend the money for a complete solution. And you have to be, you have to have a line to say, well, it's not, yeah, I'm, I can't worry about this for you if you're not worried about it. But then, but then that turns into, do I still take on the job knowing that it's not, to the level that I feel like my liability is mitigated and that sort of thing. So there's, oh, yeah. there's a lot of that in our lives every day. Well, there, you know, <coughs> crudely, some people will say it comes down to the ability to say, okay, blanket, I'm done. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it get. I think by the time you get to that point, you've gone too far to the other side of the scale. Right. There is the point of not worrying about things you can't change, but you can't go so far to the other side of the scale that you worry about nothing. Well, and that's that's the thing. You know, um, I, I don't want this to come across like I'm bashing my own. Uh, well, you, you <laughs> Boy, see, get, dig your way out of that, and son. Yeah. <laughs> So, no, because you see this a lot with people, with with fundamentalist Christians or people that are very much against, you see it on both sides, sure. both extremes. You know, uh, the belief that God provides for us, absolutely that happens. But that doesn't mean you don't have a job. Right. That doesn't mean you don't have to do your part. Yeah. So it, it's important not to worry needlessly because how much time do you spend in in in, in a period of inaction that is fueled by that worry versus taking action to overcome that worry, knowing that if you do everything you can, it'll work out. Right. It's the, it's the, don't, don't be playing poker facing somebody, you know, who has the full house while you're holding three of a kind and expect God to give you an ace. Exactly. You know, it's, it's just the way it works. So number three, treasure friendship, the reciprocal attachment that fills the need for affiliation. And that's a pretty good definition of friendship, isn't it? It is. And I think this, again, um, is really relevant to what we're dealing with now, where so many people are really feeling the isolation. Yeah. And, you you know, you have to work a little harder. You do. You know, you have to make a few more phone calls, send a few more random texts, do a few more just kind of 
out, out of the way stuff. Well, and the thing is, and I've talked before, I collect as friends extroverts. And the reason I do that is because I am very much an introvert. Now, I can be pulled out of my shell, but I don't possess within me naturally, it would require a lot of work, to, to be the catalyst for that action, for that extroversion. So I collect as friends people who are going to do that for me. You know, when you when you say that, I really re- think about the story of when we were trying to set up your bachelor party, and I finally texted you and said, "Trey, answer some of these dadgum texts because you're driving me nuts." Well, <laughs> it, it, I will say, in that regard, it was because I was in a meeting and I just couldn't get to them quickly. Oh enough. no, this had been going on for a couple of days. You hadn't answered some texts about the bachelor party, so I I had had I had had my my wisdom tooth packed full of your introversion on this subject and had to take a stand. But, <laughs> but you will, you will notice once you, once you drew that line in the sand, right. I basically ended up planning it from that point forward. Right. Which was the way it should have went. Yeah. It was well, well, actually no, the best no, the man. the bachelor is not supposed to be. Well, yeah, the best man was supposed to handle that. But anyway. He, he has his own introversion issues, and I couldn't yell at him. I didn't know him. I decided to yell at you instead. He does. We, we both get it, honestly. It's it's my brother, and so there's there's a certain amount of genetics at play there, I think. Experience true pleasure. Avoids shallow and transient pleasures. Now, hang on a second. I love a good shallow and transient pleasure. Now, I don't, I don't want to live my life according to him, but let's not, let's not just throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Well, no. Let, let me let me clarify what this means for me, and I think you'll agree here. Um, neither of us watched the show Family Guy, right? Because it doesn't do anything for us. It's not good for our soul. It's it's shallow and transient. It is, yeah, it's funny. They make some jokes, and it's a funny show, but it's vapid, and it doesn't do anything to enrich our lives. And I think that, to me, that's what I think about when I read this. You know, it's it's important to seek simple pleasures, but that, but not necessarily pleasures that are without merit, without value. Cigars are a simple pleasure, but what we get out of that enjoyment is camaraderie, fellowship community uh, uh, forcing us to slow down and take life on life's terms and enjoy it moment by moment. So simple pleasures can lead to more enriching pleasures as well. And that's kind of how I read this. I can go with that. I can, I can definitely go with that because I, because you know, occasionally I like to turn my brain off and watch a good cheesy monster movie Mm -hmm. and all. And that, that it's pretty shallow. But in the grand skip, but I don't build my life around that, it, the yeah. rubber, you know, the rubber lizard chasing a GI Joe. Right, that is not your personality. Sure, there are some people that turn things like that into their personality. All right, we're going to get in trouble with the basement nerd again on Star Trek, Star Wars <laughs> thing, <laughs> and all. So. Number five. I've got allergies. I can't bring that voice out this week. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then we'll move on to number five. If I can't get the basement nerd, I'm moving forward. Master yourself. Resist an external force that might delimit thought and action. Stop deceiving yourself, believing only what is personally useful and convenient. So, um, yes. And I think, now my interpretation of this is, don't live your life in an echo chamber. Right. 
don't just don't be so limited in your line of thinking that you you have to split the barbarian across from you with a sword. And, and this this goes back to that first point I think you know about challenging yourself and your worldview and, and you know living an examined life. Mm-hmm. Number six is particularly um, pertinent to the cigar lover's life. Avoid excess. Live life in harmony and balance. Now, the harmony and balance part sounds a little, you know, ancient Chinese secret to me. Right. But I can read past that to the more conventional avoid excess. You know, if ever cigar you smoke is a Padron, how good is a Padron? Right. Well, and and tying this back into what I was ranting and raving about before we started recording is we're seeing this a lot. Right now, with all of the companies that are being hurt or shut down as a result of the global pandemic, and you know, we're talking about some companies who have made billions of dollars in profits for the last twenty years consistently, yet they can't stand being shut down for two months. It's that, and so the old adage is, people that make more money just spend more money. So I do think there is some value in. Again, kind of the way I read this is is that that balance of having and wanting, that balance of being uh, in striving for more but being happy with what you have. Sure, you know I drive I drive a truck with two hundred thousand miles on it. Right. Could I go buy a new truck if I wanted to? Sure. But really, a truck gets me from point A to point B, and I enjoy my truck. Right. So there's no need in just saying okay. I'm going to go buy a new truck because I want everybody to see me in it because I worry about what people think when they see me pull up in a t- truck with 200,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. And I'll... Number seven, be a responsible human being and approach yourself with honesty and thoroughness and maintain spiritual hygiene. That's the key for me in this one. Those two words. Those two, spiritual, spiritual hygiene. hygiene. And I'll, there is a certain amount of do what's right when nobody is looking. You there know, is, Martin and, Luther King Jr. said that. And and the last part that you haven't read yet is stop the blame shifting for your errors and shortcomings. This one is huge, and this is a tenet I live my life by. You know, we are responsible for our own actions, our own decisions, and our own thoughts. Now, you can't control the thoughts that pop into your head, but you can cr- control how those ideations manifest themselves in your behavior. Well, you know, every loser I know blames others for their problems bar none there's really nothing no if somebody said shane how do you what what's characteristic, the one thing yeah what's the one characteristic every loser you know shares is they it's blame always somebody else's else. fault right they never just say okay i made this mistake i need to fix it or it's and even extends to okay success you know i have a great deal of success in my life i'm proud of my success in life because i worked and earned it the losers in my life believe, okay, it's just Shane's turn. My turn's coming. Yeah. But I also think there's a, a certain capacity um, for us to recognize uh, others in that as well in being, you know, I, I, I also feel like I'm a relatively successful person, but I also recognize that I did not get there in a vacuum. The ideas that were planted in me from a young kid by the adults in my life. The people I choose to surround myself with now uh, are people that kind of feed that and and push me to be better. And I recognize that I would not be the person I am if it weren't for the people that I've had in my life. Now, that's not to say that I've 
you know, that you rely on people to hand you things, sort of, but, but you create your own, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. It also takes a village to raise an adult. The difference is you get to choose your village, so choose them wisely. I love number eight. And nothing, okay, so of all ten of these, nothing applies to the cigar shop environment more than number eight. Do not be a prosperous fool. And all. The, how many prosperous fools do we see in the cigar shop on a weekly basis? I can basis? think of a handful right off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. We, we could sit here and write of guys that have enough money to buy every cigar in the humidor, to buy the shop, to buy the cars in the parking lot, to do anything they want. And they're so miserable. Their life. We actually, one night playing poker, one of these gentlemen had a real breakthrough moment where he said, I'm the wealthiest man at this table, and I'm the most miserable. Yeah. And it was a real breakthrough moment. It really hurt my heart to hear him say that because, uh, you know, you can still like a fool. You right. don't have to, ju- you know, it, you don't want to just distance yourself from somebody like that. No. Again, it comes from it comes from not living your life in an echo chamber. And what, what does it say about the rest of us that help, you know, a large ego and self-awareness very, go, very rarely go hand in hand. And so, you know, to, to, to be the kind of person that can help somebody else have that self-actualization says a lot about us as much as it does about that person being willing to step outside themselves and realize a bigger truth about themselves. Well, and when he said that, my reply was, well, are you going to call or not? But <laughs> that, was, that was just, you know, I wasn't sure how the two things were related, but he was, he was holding up the game. <laughs> I guess, I guess if there's one of these about being emp- empathetic, I'm, I'm way you are off not. on that. You are not. I'm intellectually, cognitively empathetic. And I'll, um, number nine, don't do evil to others. Now, this is, the, this is the biggie. This is the one that I think sneaks up on people. You know, evil is not creating a death ray to destroy a continent. Very no. few of us have the time to do that. Evil manifests itself so many different ways. Um, being dismissive of other people, being intentionally antagonistic, uh, you know, are, are some of the more soft versions of this, I think. Yeah, there, there's, there's some, you know, the blatant, blatant evil is doing harm to others. You know, blatant evil is kidnapping, you know, your neighbor. Mm-hmm. There, there is blatant evil in the world. And all, but I think the the average human being has to be more aware of the subtleties of evil. I think so. Is this where you're gonna? Yeah. When you decide to go on Facebook and say something hurtful and painful and antagonistic, just because you know that person can't come over and punch you in the nose, that's evil. It is. I do think, going back to kind of what we were talking about before the show, though, I do think there's a difference between, you know, so all couples fight at some point, right? But you make the choice. You still have to wake up beside that person the next day. So you you get to make a choice when you're having those disagreements and arguments as to whether or not you're going to go for blood. So the same is true with like an Internet argument or whatever is – are are you arguing a point on its own merits, or are you going for blood? Well, do you want to be right, or do you want to win? Right. You know, that's one thing being married teaches you is, 
Um, you know, people, the dumbest piece of marital advice that anybody ever gives is, oh, never go to bed angry. That's stupid. Yeah. How here, Here's a piece of... The longer of, it goes on and, and the tired or the more tired you get, the more likely you're going to get frustrated, get grumpy, and say something you don't mean. Yeah. Just have the ability to pause. Have the ability... You know, I have the ability with all my friends. Um, we have an international code word. We're going to have to agree to disagree. And at that point, I have to drop it or it's my problem. Right. And I'll, at some point, anybody can say to me, Shane, we have to agree to disagree. You've said it. Jay said it. Everybody I know is at some point had to say, yeah, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Yeah. And there, there's, there's no more fruit up this tree. Right. That's where evil stops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is when we just agree to disagree. So I think that the don't do evil, I think you have to be aware of subtle evils. You, you absolutely do. And it kind of goes hand in hand with the, with number 10, which is kindness towards others tends to be rewarded. I see this happen in my life on an absolute daily basis. There is, whether you believe in karma or good favor from a deity or the universe or however, whatever you call it, kindness rewards kindness. Well, and generosity changes you. It does. It doesn't change. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if it really changes the person you're being generous toward, because it changes who you are. It changes you down that spectrum. Right. And uh, and you know one of my one of the phrases that's come up in the last year that really resounds with me is virtue signaling. I get so tired of all the virtue signaling that goes on in the in this place because it it cre- doesn't create good environments and don't define other people's kindness or goodness based on your yardstick you know uh, i'm a part of a, i don't remember if i talked about this on the show last week or not but i think you and i talked about it i'm in a bunch of 3d printing groups online that like share files and information and tips and tricks and that sort of thing and right now with what's going on with covid-19 there are a lot of people that are printing face shields Right and and donating them, and there's kind of this this you know, a lot of people are donating them. Some of them are requesting donations for them so that they can buy the materials, and those people tend to get lambasted in these groups. And and while it's what you know, it's great that you're able to donate your time and your resources and your money to to this cause, but that doesn't mean someone else. Trying to do good but not having the means to do it doesn't make their kindness or their generosity any less than yours. Yeah, and you know we're going to see this with the stimulus checks and all. We're going to whoever the first celebrity that does this, I think we should be allowed to shoot them. I donated my stimulus check to the American Heart Association, and I challenge you to do the same. Yeah. Oh, bite me. (laughs) I mean, there are people out there who have lost their jobs or have had to take a pay cut to keep their jobs or, and, and there are people who are sick and dying, you know, so using whatever you choose to use this stimulus check for, whether it's putting it aside for a rainy day, because we don't know where this is going to finally settle. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. You don't have to rush out to your local brick and mortar and spend all the money you make on your stimulus check to try to keep them in business to be a good person. Right. And uh, now if you're if you a, have the means to donate by all means. Yeah, if you have the means to go help somebody to help somebody and don't don't feel the need to advertise it. 
You know, that's that's the part that aggravates me. I hate when somebody does good just for the option of advertising I, it. I, I do, too. And you see this with corporations all the time that, you know, something goes viral and then these, you know, corporations step in and then they post a big, you know, grandstanding tweet about all the good they're doing for this person. And it's like, well, that's all well and great. But could you have would it, it would have been just as great, if not better, if you'd have just done it without advertising it? So this is this is a great article. I mean, very rarely do I just say this is an article everybody should read. Well, there's a link at the bottom of this article for the six rules of success. I think we need to touch on that next week. We can definitely look into that next week because I'll probably have some major – because my view of success is, is – um, is different than yours in, in a lot of ways. It is. You know, in the way we live our lives, you and I have a lot of similarities. But in the way we view success and corporations and everything as a whole is a fertile ground for argument it, for it you is. and I. We it can is. go to war in a heartbeat. It is. And uh, well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? Um, you can get a hold of us on Facebook.com slash The Cigar Cast. Email info at thecigarcast.com. And we're on Instagram and Twitter at The Cigar Cast. So what's the Temperance Whiskey Rebellion? Oh, this was perfect. This is a great morning stick. Is it? It looked a little dark for a morning stick for me. It was. It, it's in the medium full range. Okay, but it's that I really love the flavor of Indonesian tobacco, and that's a great way to wake my palate up. I know. What's your what? How? What's the rating? Uh, that cigar is a six. Oh wow! I will definitely. I, normally, I wouldn't pick one up, but since you give it a six, I'll have to pick one yeah. up. Yeah. This the the perfecto was good. I still like the the. Toro better, mm-hmm. but the Perfecto was a nice change of pace for me. Well, the Africa is always a seven, right? Every time, everyone I've smoked has been a seven. Um, I hope everyone that I, everyone that I always smoke is a seven. It's just outstanding. So, thanks everybody for listening this week, and until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.